welcome to the Astro Guy Podcast. I'm not an expert, I'm an amateur like you. I'm here to learn and here to teach. So let's enjoy the ride together. Carpe Noctum, seize the night. I'm your host, Wayne Zool, and this is the Astro Guy Podcast. Hopefully you had clear skies and were able to observe the total lunar eclipse on May 15th going into the 16th. While there are no eclipses visible this June, our solar system is putting on an enjoyable show. On the morning of June 1st, around 4.15 a.m., Mars appears less than 2 degrees slightly below and to the left of Jupiter. If you have binoculars or a very wide field telescope, this makes for a very interesting sight. Jupiter, which is much further away than Mars, appears larger, spanning almost 38 arc seconds. Mars, on the other hand, spans less than 7 arc seconds. Still, they are a beautiful sight to see and are very easy to spot. Each day this month, the pair will appear further apart, and by the end of June, Mars will be more than 19 degrees away from Jupiter. On the morning of the 26th, the 6.6% illuminated crescent moon will appear a little more than 2 degrees to the left and slightly above Venus. You'll want to have a very good eastern horizon to try to spot the pair. If your horizon is really good, you might even spot Mercury, about two and a half degrees above the horizon, below and to the left of the Moon and Venus. Mercury's morning apparition this month isn't very good. At its highest, it's only a few degrees above the horizon, so kudos if you can spot it. On the 17th, the Moon is about seven degrees to the right of Saturn. On the 21st, the Moon is about 5 degrees from Jupiter, and on the morning of the 22nd, the Moon is about 5 degrees away from Mars. This month is a good time to start noting the apparent size of Saturn in a telescope. Around 3 a.m. on the first of the month, Saturn is about 20 degrees above the southeastern horizon and will rise earlier each night as it makes its way towards opposition, where it will rise when the sun sets and set when the sun rises. This is also the best time to observe Saturn or any planet when it's in opposition. Only Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune can appear at opposition, but you'll have to wait until mid-August for Saturn to reach opposition. For June, Uranus will be very difficult to spot as it's low in the morning sky. Neptune is higher and can be spotted with a telescope between Jupiter and Saturn in the morning skies. But remember, Neptune is small and faint at magnitude 7.7, and it only spans a little more than two arc seconds in diameter. If you're not a morning person, don't worry. The brighter planets are working their way to the evening skies. Later this summer and fall, they'll be putting on a great show in the evenings. On June 21st at 5.13 a.m. Eastern Time, the sun is at its furthest point north, 
This is the summer solstice. After this, each day, the sun will move slightly more south as it heads toward the autumnal equinox in September. The changing position of the sun and the seasons that we experience on Earth are because of the axial tilt of our planet. So in the northern hemisphere, this is the closest that the North Pole points towards the sun. The tilt angle is 23.44 degrees, so anyone at latitude 66.56 or higher will see the sun nearing the horizon, but not dipping below it, hence the term midnight sun. So let's move beyond our solar system. As we explore the constellations Canis Fenatici, the hunting dogs, and Hercules. As night falls at the start of June, Canis Venatici is high overhead. While it doesn't have many bright stars, it's easy to locate as it resides just south of the Big Dipper. The brightest star in Canis Venatici is magnitude 2.85 Cor Caroli. The main star in the Cor Caroli system is a variable, as well as a giant star. The main component is magnitude 2.9, while the secondary star is 19 arc seconds away and much fainter at magnitude 5.6. Keen-eyed observers should be able to split the pair at moderate magnification, but the brightness difference makes it a bit of a challenge. There are a wealth of deep sky objects in Canis Venatici. It holds five Messier objects that we'll explore. The most famous DSO within the constellation is the famous Whirlpool Galaxy, M51. This is a beautiful face-on spiral that is interacting with another galaxy. The galaxy glows at a total magnitude of 8.36 and spans about 13 by 11 arc minutes. It is located about 31 million light years away from us. From a dark location with at least 50 millimeter binoculars, you should be able to spot the galaxy as a small smudge of light. In a 6-inch telescope, you'll see a slightly oblong glow that's brighter in the center. As you keep looking at it, you should be able to resolve the spiral arms. The spiral arms are easy to see in an 8-inch or larger telescope, as long as you're under dark skies. To locate M51, you can start at the star at the end of the handle of the Big Dipper, known as al -Qaeda. From there, sweep about 3 degrees east and then 2 degrees south, and you should spot the galaxy. With practice and patience, you can spot NGC 5195, the galaxy that M51 is interacting with. In photos, they look like they're next to each other, but NGC 5195 is a bit further away than M51. Our next stop in Canis Venatici is the galaxy M94, a face-on barred spiral galaxy. You can locate M94 by starting at Cor Caroli and sweeping three degrees north and one degree west, and you should see an elongated faint glow. You'll likely need dark skies and at least a 6-inch telescope to do this any justice. The galaxy is large, about 11 by 9 arc minutes, 
and shines at magnitude 8.2, but that light is spread out, so the magnitude number can be deceiving. With a larger telescope under dark skies, you can just make out the oval-shaped bar, but the outer arms are very faint and are best seen in long exposure images. M94 is located about 16 million light-years away from us. Another fun galaxy in Canis Venatici is M63, which is also known as the Sunflower Galaxy. It gets this name as in long exposure photographs, it does show some similarities to a sunflower. This was also one of the first galaxies discovered to have a spiral structure. This was concluded by Lord Ross in the mid-1800s. To find the sunflower, start at Cor Caroli, sweep slightly north of east, about 4 degrees, until you see two fourth magnitude stars. Center the two stars and then sweep north about one and a half degrees and you'll be looking at M63. Located 36 million light years away, the galaxy glows at magnitude 9.3. It spans 12 and a half by 7 arc minutes. However, the spiral arms are very faint. Fortunately, the inner core of this galaxy shows up well in a telescope. Start at low magnification and slowly increase the magnification to see if you can spot any details in the core. Next, we'll visit the spiral galaxy M106. This galaxy is about 21 million light years away and it is about the same size and luminosity as the Andromeda galaxy M31 but, since it lies about 10 times further away than Andromeda, it appears only about 18 by 7 arc minutes to us. To locate M106, start at the star Magres in the Big Dipper. This is the faintest of the seven stars that make up the Big Dipper asterism. From Magres, sweep about 10 degrees south, and you should have the galaxy in a low-power field. Brighter than M94 at magnitude 8.55, its light is spread out, so it will appear smaller than its listed size as the outer portions of the galaxy are faint. Moving back to our galaxy, we'll end our tour of Canis Venatici with M3, a wonderful globular cluster. Discovered in 1764 by Charles Messier, this was the first object in Messier's catalog that he discovered. M1 and M2 were observed by other astronomers before Messier, but were not cataloged. Messier himself observed this as nebulous, and he wasn't able to resolve any individual stars in the cluster. However, Sir William Herschel was able to resolve stars in the cluster in 1784, revealing its true identity as a globular cluster. Made up of more than 500,000 stars, this is an old cluster that formed more than 11 billion years ago. It is gravitationally bound to the Milky Way and is bright at magnitude 6.2. From a very dark sky, you might be able to spot it with the naked eye. In binoculars, it will appear as a fuzzy ball 
while in any telescope you'll be able to resolve dozens of stars within the cluster. In a very dark sky location you can resolve many many stars in this beautiful cluster. To locate M3 start at Cor Caroli and sweep about 14 degrees southeast toward the bright star Arcturus in Boötes and you'll be looking right at M3. Now we'll move a bit east past the kite-shaped Boötes and the small constellation Corona Borealis to Hercules, the strong man from Roman mythology. Hercules is also the fifth largest constellation in our sky, spanning nearly 57 degrees from its northeast corner to its southwest corner. But the constellation is easily identified by the keystone of three third magnitude stars and one second magnitude star that make up the keystone that represents the torso of Hercules. The brightest and most famous object in Hercules lies on the border of the keystone, the great Hercules cluster, M13. This is one of the finest examples of a globular cluster and is the fifth brightest one in our sky. For observers in the northern hemisphere, the cluster is well placed for viewing and it is the brightest globular cluster in the northern sky. The southern hemisphere holds four other globular clusters that are larger and or brighter than M13. A couple of them are visible to us, but they don't get very high in the sky, so their low altitude makes them lose their shine for us northerners. To locate M13, start at the brightest star in the keystone, Retilicus, and sweep toward the northwest corner of the keystone, about two-thirds of the way to Eta Hercules, and you'll see M13. From a dark sky location, M13 can be seen with the naked eye as a fuzzy patch. Binoculars will reveal its shape and several member stars. The image in a telescope can be unforgettable. M13 glows brightly at magnitude 5.8 and spans about 20 arc minutes. That's two-thirds the size of the full moon. Through a telescope at moderate magnification, many people see a fan shape of stars toward the middle of the cluster. Can you spot it? Our next object is often ignored by many observers, as it's a bit fainter and more diffuse, but every globular cluster has its own personality. If you want a challenge, try to locate NGC 6229. It's easy to find. Follow that same line from Rutilicus to Eta Hercules and continue past Eta for about eight and a half degrees and you should have this globular in your eyepiece. It is listed at magnitude 9.4 and spans about five arc minutes in diameter. In an eight inch telescope under dark skies, you should be able to resolve a few of the member stars of this cluster. Patience and continued observation will show more member stars, as will using a larger telescope. This cluster is located about 100,000 light years away from us and was discovered by Sir William Herschel on May 12, 1787. Our last object for this tour is the other great globular cluster in Hercules, M92, 
which often gets overlooked because of its proximity to M13. If this cluster were in any other constellation, it would get a lot more attention. To locate M92, go back to the Keystone asterism and start at the third magnitude star, Pi Herculis, which is about six and a half degrees east of Eta Herculis. From Pi, sweep north just over six degrees, and you'll be looking right at M92. This is a very nice cluster that is located about 26,000 light years away from us. M92 glows at magnitude 6.4, just on the edge of naked eye visibility from the darkest locations. It spans about 14 arc minutes in size. This cluster is easily seen in 50 millimeter binoculars as a round, mottled patch of light. In a telescope, you'll be able to resolve many stars within the cluster. This one is a joy that you'll return to again and again. Well, that's all for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope that you found our time together to be fun and helpful. If you have questions or episode suggestions, you can always email us at astroguypodcast at gmail.com or leave us a text or a voicemail at 973-404-0380. Now, if you're not already a member, please join the Astro Guy Podcast group on Facebook. There you'll find other members, videos, blogs, and lots of useful information there for your enjoyment. You can also visit our YouTube channel, The Astro Guy Podcast, for past episodes and other surprises. Please subscribe. We would really appreciate you leaving a review on your podcast platform. It can help us get new listeners. Thank you again for listening, and may your skies be clear. As always, Carpe Noctum. Seize the night. I'm Wayne Zool, and this was the Astro Guy Podcast. Thank you for listening. As always, your questions, comments, and suggestions are welcome. Keep wondering. Keep your eyes on the sky. Have fun. Carpe noctum. Seize the night.